Always helps if I turn it on. Hallelujah. Father, we thank you that you are faithful. And faithful you will always be. Your faithfulness knows no end. It knows no boundaries. And so this morning we know that all your promises are sure. Just as your word said that all the promises of God in him are yes and amen. Or so be it. <laughs> so Father, we thank you for your promises. We receive them in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, let me get back here to my message. Doreen, you're moving them around on me. <laughs> there we go. Well, it is Easter Sunday. And so as I was preparing a few weeks ago, I started working on a message called Jesus, the gift that keeps on giving. And I was really excited about it. And I usually do my final prep for messages on Saturday where I put my, all my slides together and, you know, I talk to the Holy Spirit about what I should put in and what I shouldn't put in. And then it all of a sudden it was like, he was like, okay, we're changing your entire message. And I always laugh at the Holy Spirit that I'm like, I have been preparing for weeks and now the day before, really the night before, you want to change it? And so <clears throat> you're always faced with things in life where God will tell you, this is what I want you to do, and then you have, this is what I want to do, and your choice is always, which one do you want to do? So I could have preached a message that I thought was pretty good, but it would have done you no benefit because it wasn't the message of the Holy Spirit. And so Holy Spirit, we just thank you this morning. We just invite you to move in our midst. We know that you're our teacher. You know, you open the word and you show us what your intentions were about it. Holy Spirit, you lead and guide us into all truth. You show us things to come. You lead us into those paths of peace. You show us how to glorify the Father. And so we just open up this morning, Holy Spirit, and say, whatever you want. What message you want. Let's scrap everything we've got and just go with you because your words are truth. You are the one that gives life to the word. And so we thank you for that and we receive your help this morning in Jesus' name. So it is Easter. And we all know the Easter story. We've, I think most of the, the, at least in North America, most people know the general boundaries of what the Easter story is. You know, Jesus was arrested, he was crucified, he went to the grave, he was resurrected. Oh, hooray! But as I was thinking about the message yesterday, I realized that where we start the story is not where God started the story. And so it's important to start where he starts and end where he ends in everything in our life. And so as I was meditating on the whole story, you have to understand right before he was arrested, he was sitting down, he had, he had the communion meal with his disciples, and then he says to Judas, he's go ahead and do what's in your heart to do. And the, all the rest of the disciples thought, oh, he's just sending him out to buy bread for the poor or whatever. You know, Jesus did that a lot. So it seemed not, didn't seem odd for him to send Judas away. Judas goes and does his thing. He makes his arrangement with the, high, the, with the priests. They give him some silver and he's going to betray Jesus. But while Judas is out doing that, Jesus is walking and talking and teaching his disciples the final message he will ever give them prior to the cross. And so whenever you're talking about the last thing you're going to tell someone, you want them to be the most important things. You want them to be the most memorable things. And just as human nature, we kind of have uh, in our listening skills, we remember the first of things, we forget the middle, and we usually remember the end. And so the things that Jesus was trying to remind them of, he knew these are probably the things they're most likely to remember. You know, they've seen the dead raised, they've seen the lame walk, they've seen the blind can see, they saw lepers cleansed, but in the end, what Jesus was about to tell them 
he deemed the most important. And so in chapter 17, verse 1, Jesus is sitting down with his disciples, and he says this, Father, the hour has come. Meaning, this is where the story starts. The hour is finally here. And he says, glorify your son so he can give glory back to you. For you have given him authority over everyone. He gives eternal life to each one you have given him. And this is the way to have eternal life. To know you. The only true God and Jesus Christ, the one who sent you to, sent, you sent to earth. So he says, this is eternal life. To know you. But I like how the Passion Translation says it a little better. It says this. Eternal life means to know and experience you as the only true God. And to know and experience Jesus as the Son whom you have sent. Think about this for a second. God doesn't just want you to know about him. He wants you to experience him. And much of what we call the religion, Christianity, is all about let's talk about God. And God is saying, I don't want you just to talk about me. I want you to experience me. Kind of makes me re reminded of when we were just a few weeks ago working on our Knowledge of God series. And what did Paul say in Philippians 3.10? I want to know Christ and experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. Why did Paul want that? Because that's what Jesus wants. The Bible says, taste and see that the Lord is good. Last week we were talking about the love of God and how it gives birth to peace. When you begin to meditate on how much he loves you versus how much you love him, the power of God just begins to flow into your life. And peace begins to flow. The word said to pursue the things that make for peace. And we're often pursuing peace when we should be pursuing the things that make for peace. And the, one, the number one thing that produces peace in your life is love of God. These three things, faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love, was not talking about our love was talking about his love. And when we read 1 Corinthians 13, the love chapter, we often put it as how we're supposed to love others. But it's not. It's about how God loves you and keeps no record of wrongs. He can't become offended with you. And he never fails. He never stops trying. He never stops working. These are the things that God thinks towards you. And so when he, Paul says, I want to know and experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead, or as in, I think it's the, the Amplified says, I want to experience the power that flows out from the resurrection. Meaning that we think the power flowed into the resurrection to raise Jesus, but actually the power flowed in and then out from the resurrection to each and every one who will ever believe. And so Jesus goes on in verse 19 in John 17. He says, And I give myself as a holy sacrifice for them. Who's he talking about? You. So the holy sacrifice he was giving himself to, we can just go ahead and say, Thank you, Jesus. That was for me. He wasn't doing it because of himself. He didn't need it. 
He was already one with God, right? He came down from heaven to do a work in us. And it says, so that they can be made holy by your truth. And then he says this, he says, I am praying not only for these disciples, but also for all who will ever believe in me through their message. So Jesus is not saying, this is not just for you, 11, that were with him. This is for everyone. What I'm about to pray for you is for everyone who will ever believe. Let me ask you a question. Are you an everyone? Do you believe? Then what he's about to pray for his believers is for you. And he says, I pray that they will all be one just as you and I are one. As you are in me, Father, and I am in you. And may they be in us so that the world will believe that you sent me. So Jesus is summing up the purpose of what he is about to do in going to the cross and going to the grave and then rising up from the dead and ascending on high. All of it was so that we could be one with them. That has some pretty strong implications to it. What did Jesus do because he was one with God? What does the Holy Spirit do because he is one with God? Now I have to ask you, what can Garnet now do because he's been made one with God? We put restrictions on ourselves as Christians when God is saying, I want you to blow the box off I want to expand your thinking. I want you to look at Jesus as your example and your starting point. Not as the ultimate goal to reach to, but from where you start. Because you're being made one with God, just like Jesus was one with God. Jesus laid out his purpose statement before he ever went to the cross. And he says, I have given them the glory you gave me. What? The same glory Jesus had, he gave to me, to you, to us. The same glory that Jesus had, so that they may be one as we are one. I am in them, and you are in me. May they experience such perfect unity that the world will know that you sent me, and, everyone say this with me, that you love them as much as you love me. Wow. How does God love Jesus? His only son at the time. You realize he's not the only son anymore? He's not the only one in the family? Jesus has got many brothers, many sisters, and God loves this, us the same way he loves Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. The passion says it this way. For they will see that you love each one of them with the same passionate love that you have for me. It's not just a little love. You know, after the resurrection, you know, we all know that Peter denied Jesus three times. And then in the book of John in chapter 21, it has this great story where the disciples are kind of like, oh, well, Jesus is done. What are we going to do? And Peter says, let's go fishing. And so they're out fishing, and, and Jesus comes to them, and he says, hey, guys, how's it going? And they don't recognize that it's him. And, he, and uh, they're like, hey, we haven't really caught much. And he says, well, throw your net out the other side. And they get this big haul of 153 large fish, and then they realize, wait, the last time this happened, it was Jesus. And then they begin to focus a little more on the shore, like, oh, wait, it is Jesus. 
And so Peter, he was fishing naked, and so he like grabs his cloak and he dives into the water and he swims to Jesus. And Jesus says, hey, come on, guys, let's eat. And he had a meal prepared for them, of bread and fish on the coals of the fire. And he says to Peter, he says, Peter, do you love me? And Peter says, you know that I love you, Jesus. Now, in our English language, that's pretty basic in the way it's described. But in the Greek, he's, they're not saying the same thing. Jesus said to Peter, Peter, do you agape me? Which is the God kind of love. Do you love me with another unending love? Do you love me with a love that will never give up, shut up, put up, or stop? And Peter says back to him, well, you, you know that I phileo you. I like you like a brother. That's what Peter said back to Jesus. And Jesus said, well, then look after my, little, my sheep. And then he said to him again, Peter, do you love me? And he says, Jesus, you just asked this question. You know that I love you as a brother. He says, feed my sheep. And then he asked him a third time, and the third time it bothered Peter is what the Bible says. It grieved him. And Jesus said, do you love me, Peter? And Peter said, you know that I love you as a brother. And this time Jesus changed his statement. He said, then look after my little ones. What he was trying to get across to Peter, one, it was a moment of redemption. Peter denied him three times, and Jesus gave him three times to come back. That's the great thing about God. It doesn't matter how many times you walk back. He's right there to take you right back. There's nothing you could do to separate yourself from the love of God. Go read Romans chapter 8. Nothing. No height, depth, death, whatever. Read it yourself. But he says to Peter, feed my little ones. That's how he views us, as the little ones. The ones, you know, when kids are smaller, they need more care. When you first have a baby and they come out and they're like, yeah, yeah, they're just like so innocent. They can't do anything for themselves. You have to do everything for them. Did they earn it? Do they deserve your love? Have they done anything to deserve it? Not at all. But you love them anyways. All my four boys, when they came out, I took them in my arms and I began to talk to them. I said, hey, I'm your daddy. I will always love you. I will do the best that I can for you at every moment. Whatever, I will teach you what you need to know. And I had a conversation with them. We are God's little ones. When he looks down at you, he's like, oh, I will do anything for you. I will teach you whatever you need to know. I will help you at every turn. That's the love of God. I wasn't planning on talking about any of that this morning, but I'm sure somebody needed that. God so loves us. We can't do anything about it. We can't change it. It just flows over us every day. He goes on in verse 24. He says, Father, I want these whom you have given me to be with me where I am. Which is why Paul said that he has raised us up and made us to sit together with him in heavenly places. Why? Because Jesus didn't want to leave us alone. He said, let's just bring them with us. That's why he said, I want heaven to come to earth. He wanted to have a constant connection and a constant communication and a constant line of help for his little ones. He says, I, I want them that they can see the glory you gave me because you loved me even before the world began. 
And he already told us that he wants us to know that God loves us the same way he loves Jesus. And as Jesus says here, that God loved him before the world began, which means before you were even a thought in your parents' mind, God already loved you. Before you ever made a single mistake, God already loved you. He already has seen your end from your beginning. He's known you in your mother's womb. And he said, I flat out love them. I agape them. There is nothing that they can do to stop this love. There's nothing I would not do. There's no mountain I would not climb. There's no valley I would not climb through. There's no ocean that I would not cross for my kids. And so he says, oh righteous father, the world doesn't know you, but I do. And these disciples know you sent me. I have revealed you to them, and I can, will continue to do so. Then your love for me will be in them, and I will be in them. Passion says it this way. I have revealed them who you are. And I will continue to make you even more real to them. How is he going to do that if he's leaving? Oh, wait, he's not. He's getting inside instead of outside. And I will continue to make the Father's love more real to them so that they may experience the same endless love that you have for me. For your love will now live in them as I live in them. That's why Jesus went to the cross. It's not just a pretty story, and it's really not a pretty story. It's a gruesome story of the cross and everything that led up to it. The whole story is a story about how much God loves you and wants to take you and make you one with him. So we know what happens next. He's betrayed in the garden, which is really, it's one of my favorite parts of the story. Because so Judas has been off. He goes and he collects some, some Roman centurions and some temple guards. And a bunch of them flood into the, 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 uh, the garden where they are. Which when they say garden, it was really a cemetery is what it was they were in. They were in an olive grove. And there would have been tombs down the sides of it. And uh, so there, Jesus is having his final conversations with his disciples there. And Judas comes with all these guards and they have their, uh, their spears and their swords and their lanterns. And they come in before Jesus and Jesus goes and meets them as they're coming in. And he says, who are you looking for, guys? And they say, we're looking for Jesus of Nazareth. And he says, I am he. And boom, the power of God hits them and they all fall out on the ground. Let me ask you this. Who's arresting who? And so they stumble up, and he says, who are you looking for again? He says, uh, I think the second time they're more like, Jesus of Nazareth? And he says, oh, come on, guys, I told you that's me. And he says, and now that you have me, let everybody else go. And there's a big kerfuffle as they take Jesus. And I like the book of Mark because it tells an aspect of the story that we don't see anywhere else. It says, as they're grabbing people, we know that Peter pulls out a sword and he chops off Malchus's ear. And Jesus says, whoa, 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 whoa. And Peter put the sword away and he picks up the ear and he puts it back on the side of Malchus's head and seals it back on. And I heard somebody say the other day, and it just made me laugh so hard. He said, I wish Peter had better aim. I wish he would have chopped the head right off. And they were like, why? And he says, cooler miracle. Picks the head up, puts it back on. So Jesus heals the ear. Not quite a spectacular. <laughs> heals the ear. And they're grabbing, trying to grab people. The disciples escape. And Mark tells us that there was a man 
in a cloth is what the English said. And they grabbed the man and he spun out of the cloth and he took off running out of there naked. And it's kind of like, where did that come from? Why is that in there? But if you look at what the word used for cloth is, it's a burial shroud. So when Jesus said, I am he, and the power of God knocked them flat, they're in a cemetery and it just raised some guy from the dead. And he kind of stumbles out of his grave like, what's going on with all this? And they start grabbing him. He's like, I don't know what's going on, but I'm out of here. That's my favorite part of the whole story. So they take Jesus and they take him to the high priest and, you know, they lobby their accusations against him. And uh, there, that's where Peter denies him three times. And then he's taken to Pilate and Pilate talks with him. And Pilate comes out to the, the, the Pharisees and says, you know, I don't find anything wrong with this, guys. You deal with them. And they're like, no, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. And it's funny how I told you last week, things change so quickly. In the five days leading up to this, he came into Jerusalem and they're all like, Hosanna, Hosanna. And they're laying down palm. They're like, basically they're saying, let's make him our king. And now they're saying, kill him. And so Pilate, not wanting to have a a riot going on in Jerusalem, because at that point there had been so many riots in Jerusalem that Rome was kind of spread thin. And they're like, you know what? If they have one more problem, we are wiping them out. And they did that just a few years later in the next set of riots they had. And so Pilate takes Jesus and he whips him and he just mutilates him. They pound the crown of thorns into his head. They pull out his beard. They make him carry his cross and he can't do it. So they get Simon and Simon carries the rest of the way up to Golgotha's hill and they nail him to the cross and they put him up there between two criminals. And Jesus there as he hangs on the cross, completely innocent, But you know who wasn't completely innocent? Us. And he was hanging there for us. And so he hangs on the cross and he says the most important words that you always need to never forget. It is finished. What is finished? What was his purpose statement? I'm going to lay down my life so that they can be one. He did it. It's not something that's going to happen. He didn't say, I've started the work. I'm halfway done the work. He said, I've finished the work. And he made you one with him. All who will ever believe, one with him, just like he is one with God. You got put into God's family. Whoo, Jesus. You know, he dies. They take his body down, they prepare it, and they put it in the tomb, and that's where we're going to pick up the story in John chapter 20. It says, early Sunday Sunday morning, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb and found that the stone had been rolled away from the entrance, and she ran and she found Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and she said, they have taken the Lord's body out of the tomb and we don't know where they put him. And so Peter and the other disciple started out for the tomb, and they were both running, But the other disciple outran Peter and reaches the tomb first. I love that because you know who the other disciple is? John. And this is the book of John. He's talking about himself and it's a little dig at Peter here. He's like, we both set out, but I got there first. (laughs) But he gets there first and he stooped. 
And he looked in and he saw the linen wrappings lying there, but he didn't go in. It says, then Simon Peter arrived and he went right in. Thank God for a little boldness. Sometimes that's exactly what we need. It says the righteous are as bold as a lion. So John got there first, but he didn't go in. Peter in all his brashness is like, get out of the way, John. I'm going in. You know, we need to do that with the presence of God. Get out of the way, everyone. I'm going boldly before the throne of grace to receive what I need. If you're looking for Jesus, boldly run before him and you shall find him. And so Peter goes right in and he noticed the linen wrappings lying there. And while the cloth that had covered Jesus' head was folded up and lying apart from the other wrappings, and then the disciple who reached the tomb first, again, he rubs it in that he got there first, and he also went after that, and he saw and believed. And it says, for until then, they still hadn't understood the scriptures that said Jesus must rise from the dead. And then they went home. They're kind of like, oh, he's not here. Let's go home. Why not search? I don't, I don't get that. That's what, this is a part of the story I don't get. Peter and John are just like, oh, he's not here. There's the, clay, the, the wrappings. It was over his head. Let's go home. I don't get it. Mary didn't, though. It says, Mary was standing outside the tomb crying, and as she wept, she stooped and she looked in, and she saw two white-robed angels, one sitting at the head and the other at the foot of the place where the body of Jesus had been lying. And he said, Dear woman, why are you crying? The angels asked her. Because they've taken away my Lord, she replied, and I don't know where they've put him. And she turned to leave, and she saw someone standing there. It was Jesus, but she didn't recognize him. And dear woman, he said to her, why are you crying? Who are you looking for? And she thought he was the gardener. And she said, Sir, if you have taken him away, tell me where you have put him, and I will go and get him. Mary. And I believe this, that he said that in a way that only Mary would understand. You know when you have a close relationship with someone and they're like, Gail. That's how God speaks our name. Like no one else can. So he says, Mary. And she turned to him and cried out, Rabboni, which means teacher. And he said, don't cling to me, for I have yet ascended to the Father, but I go, but go and find my brothers and tell them I'm ascending to my Father. And for the first time, up until this point, it's always, he always talked about his Father, but for the first time, he says, tell him I'm ascending to my Father and your father, family, and to my God and your God. Why? The work was finished. We're now just as much a kid of God as Jesus was. I'm going to daddy's house. Tell them that's where I'm going. And so Mary... She went and found the disciples and she told them, I've seen the Lord, and she gave them his message. And that Sunday, come on, turn. That Sunday evening, the disciples were meeting behind locked doors because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders, and suddenly Jesus was standing there among them. It's just also like, boom, Jesus is here, and you're like, ah, it's a ghost. And he says, Peace be with you. And as he spoke, he showed them his wounds in his hands and his side, and they were filled with joy when the Lord, they saw the Lord. And again he said to them, peace be with you, because I'm still pretty sure they're pretty shaken. You know, we're in here, the doors are locked, and then here's Jesus. He's no longer bound by the earthly restrictions. 
He's bound by heaven's restrictions. And you've been made one with Him. When you need something that earth can't do, that's okay. You've got connection with heaven. Hallelujah. And then he breathed on them, and he said, receive the Holy Spirit. And as Luke tells us, he says, what he, the rest of what he said, he said, don't leave the city until he comes. And that's what happened. Forty days later, Holy Spirit came. Boom. Revival spreads across Jerusalem. Then ten years later, it spreads out across the world. But the Easter story is not only about what happened to Jesus. Because we have to understand that when he made us one, it didn't happen after the cross, it happened on the cross. And so we have to understand what Paul had said. But Jesus' mission, what was it? I pray that they will be one, just as you and I are one, as you are in me, Father, and I'm in you, and they may be in us, so that the world will believe you sent me. And so Paul says it this way in Romans chapter 6, verse 3. Do you not know that as many of us as were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death. This is not talking about water baptism. This is talking about the word baptism means to immerse into. Paul is saying to the Romans, he said, don't you guys understand you were immersed into Jesus? And when you were immersed into him, you were put into his death. So that moment when he went, you died there with him. And it says, therefore, what does therefore mean? Because of that, we were buried with him through baptism into his death. And that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so, we should walk in newness of life. So Paul says, you went to the cross with him. You went to the grave with him. And he didn't leave you in the grave. He rose up with you so that you can walk in newness of life. We already know that Jesus is walking in newness of life, right? Boom, the door is locked and here I am. He's wanting us to take off the restrictions of what we've known about humanity. You are no longer just humanity. You have been made one with God, just like Jesus. So we need to think with Jesus' restrictions and not our own. Because as John says in 1 John, that just as he is, so are we in this world. Not as we're going to be in heaven, but right here, right now, you are just as Jesus is. Which means, ah, oh, the world doesn't have a hold on you. When you choose to live by Jesus' restrictions, which when I say that, I say it funny because he has done. When we open our eyes to the possibilities that have been made available to us because of Jesus, what is this problem that's in front of me? What is this sickness? What is this lack? What is this whatever? If God is for me, who can be against me? He says, For if we have been united together in the likeness of his death, certainly we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with that we should no longer be slaves to sin. It says, For he who has died has been freed from sin. Now, if we died with Christ, we believe we shall also live with him. You know, what was the characteristic there, though? They believed. Some people don't believe this is possible. You know, I always think it's funny that churches that don't believe in healing never see healing, and they don't catch the connection. You know, 
There's so many things. Churches that don't believe in prosperity are usually broke people. When you add a little faith to what God has said about you, miraculous things begin to happen. It says, knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, dies no more. Death no longer has dominion over him. What does that mean about you? Death no longer has dominion over you. Every type of death. You know, back in the garden, when God said to Adam and Eve, in the day that you eat from the, the tree of knowledge of good and evil, you shall die. They were expecting physical death. They weren't understanding that it was spiritual death and sin flooded into the earth at that moment. That type of death, gone in Jesus. It says, for if... For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God, who you just happen to be made one with. So he ends it with this. He says, likewise, so just as he has, also reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God. When was the last time you stopped and said, I'm so glad that I'm alive, just like you're alive, Jesus? You know, a lot of us are happy to be physically alive when we wake up in the morning, but how much more to be spiritually alive with Jesus? To be united in the likeness as he is right now. To be seated in heavenly places, far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named. Not only in this world, but that which is to come also. And it says he's put all things under his feet. And if you're seated with him, united with him, just like with him, what does that mean about your feet? They're high above anything that could try and take you down and stop you. That's the work that Jesus did. And that's what Easter message is all about. It's not just about Jesus. We thank you, Jesus, for the cross. But we also thank you for what you did in us and through us and for us so that we can live and be just like you in this earth. Right here, right now. So what does that mean for you? If you're fighting a situation right now, you win. It says, thanks be to God who always causes us to triumph. It also says that he always gives us the victory. I love the one verse that says, I always triumph in Christ Jesus. I always win. Hallelujah. So whatever you're facing right now, you win. I like what Bill, you always said you read the end of the book and we win. You ever pick up a book and be like, well, okay, is this worth it? Oh, it's a good book at the end. Now I don't need to read the rest. You win. The story's been spoiled. Whatever you find yourself in, you win. Because if God is for you, who can be against you? And you've been made one with him. And so, Jesus, we thank you for that. We thank you for the gift you've given. We thank you for your, your endless love that you pour upon us every day. We thank you that because of your love, there's nothing that you still would not do for us even this day. You didn't stop lavishing your love upon us back at the cross. You've continued every day and will continue every day forever and ever and ever and ever. And Father, that our eyes would be opened up to be able to see the fullness of your love. That we would be able to understand what is truly possible to us because we have been made in Christ Jesus. And we thank you for it. Maybe you're watching us this morning via the internet and you haven't made Jesus the Lord of your life. It's not complicated. It's super simple. All you say is, I believe. That's all that's really, Jesus, I believe. I receive you. And that's it. 
And so if you prayed that this morning, I want you to get in contact with us so that we can get you hooked up with a good church in your area and get some resources into your hand. But never forget, everyone, whether you're watching or whether here, God's love never fails, which means you never fail. And so we thank you, Father, for it. We bless you. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's have some coffee and fellowship, and let's have some good Easter communion time together.